G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 9 Review Edition, proudly brought to you by Palmer Bet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember, of course, to gamble responsibly. Well, another big weekend of football. Some big questions asked and answered. Some big struggles for some top teams who eventually got over the line. Some big statements made by some would-be heavyweights. Uh, The Bulldogs, a great win to them on the road in Adelaide. And perhaps the story of the round, Melbourne continue their unbeaten ways. They are nine and zip the Demons. Haven't done that since 1956. And if you're after omens in football, here's a good one for you. Melbourne have done it five times in their history, been 9-0 win-loss, and each previous occasion they have gone on to win the Premiership. So I'd be clutching onto that one for dear life if I was a Demon fan. It's been some start to the season by them. Plenty to talk about, as I say, a very good evening to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. What would you make of it all, Finey? Great round of football. Richmond from the almost bottom of the of the emotional kit bag, clawed their way out for a super win. Didn't surprise Richmond believers. We are both that. The Bulldogs, equally as impressive on the road. Tough road trip, maybe the toughest. And Melbourne, dotting I's and crossing T's on a wet day when Melbourne of old might have been Melbourne that would fold. So we've got some good business at the top end of the uh, table. And I'll tell you this, Rowan, it's Sunday night and any serious AFL, Australian Rules, football media organisation would be jumping into this round with reviews, discussion, analysis, not jumping off the high board at the Melbourne Aquatic Centre, not chasing revenue, covering the trots or the Bensdale race meeting for tomorrow. I'm very proud of footyology. Let's wade into a really important round. Yes, well, it seems to be a forgotten art, the art of dissecting and analysing rounds of football. I would have thought it was core business. It's certainly the core business of this podcast. And to support a core business, however, you need core sponsors. And we've got some rippers, Palmerbet, of course, having just come on board. But we've got a couple of long-term sponsors who have been terrific supporters of ours, Finey, and I'd like you to mention them right now. They are core sponsors and they are, we do core business and core blimey, as Andrew's hamburgers are good feed for a Sunday night with a burger in your hand. There's no better feeling than when you're hungry and you know that what you're about to tuck into is something you love. I've got to say, with the advent of Uber, that consistency is not always there. It's a bit of a roll of the dice. Not at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. If you've had it before, you'll have it again. If you've never had it, 
it'll be the first of many. Because when you're hungry, just holding that beautiful bag, the paper bag, the old-fashioned Aussie paper bag with the best burger in town in it, that is the stuff of Sunday night dreams for me. Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Peel back the years for a great feed. And I can uh, confirm for our audience that Finey doesn't just talk the talk on this stuff. He actually means it. He is sitting there right now proudly wearing an Andrew's Hamburgers T-shirt. And as soon as we're finished talking about this, in fact, I can see him doing it now. He's taking the T-shirt off and in its place, he's putting on a West Point Properties T-shirt, Finey. And that is because I'm a huge supporter of Nick Spartels and his eye for detail, his architectural business brilliance, and his great support of Australian rules through the properties he has built for the likes of Dyson Heppel, of course, Scott Pendlebury, Mike Sheehan, and in his employ, many footballers currently, Moose, Stroke, Goose, Maguire. You know what? They've got something in common, those two organisations, Andrews and Nick Spartels' West Point Properties, and that is top of the top of the top of the shop. Well, I am now joining the fray because I'm ripping off what I've got on up top and putting on a Stats Insider T-shirt because they are the best sports data analysts in the business they sample a sporting event 10,000 times to bring you the greatest probability of the result. And they have some wonderful writing on their site as well, all free to look at, statsinsider.com.au. I say data, you say data. I say potato, you say potato. Data, data, potato, potato. Stats Insider's the mob for me. And let's sort the whole thing out is the last line of that very, very old song. That's what we're going to do now because we've got nine games to review in depth and it's time we got stuck into it. On Footyology, wrap around. The first game of round nine was at Marvel Stadium Friday evening. It was St Kilda up against Geelong and ultimately a 21-point win for the Cats. A hard-fought win, though. The Saints made them work pretty hard for it. The final scores, Geelong, 10 goals, 8, 68, defeating a very inaccurate St Kilda, 5 goals, 17, 47. The goal kickers for the Cats, 2 to Close, 2 to Hawkins, 2 to Rowan, singles to Cameron, Cam Guthrie, Minigola and Narkel for St Kilda. Just the one multiple goal kicker. That was Tim Membry with two singles to Butler, King and Steele. And uh, Finey, I know you have a vested interest in this game, but this will be one the Saints will be ruining because, as the old cliche goes, bad kicking is bad football. And with seven behinds in the first quarter, which they had dominated, uh, the Saints will rue the day, will they not? Rowan, bad kicking is bad football. Under a roof, it's terrible football. Set shots from 30 metres out on a platter for the first four or four of the first five is atrocious football. It's part of the game. There's no use crying about what could have been or beating Geelong other than the kicking. That is like saying, well, you know what? We lost the test match. We batted terribly, but gee, we fielded and bowled okay. It's a main part of the game. So St Kilda were poor in 
Well, it is called football. Now, the game itself showed that Geelong, whilst they were brilliant against Richmond, are part of a group of teams. And at the moment, you know, really every team is so subject to this, I believe, that has a, a soft underbelly. Because planning in football means that from week to week, teams see teams at their best. St Kilda's object and methodology was their strength in the ruck, clearance work and extreme pressure. And interestingly, Geelong came out playing a pretty quick brand of football, didn't they? It didn't work. They slowed it down. And I want to talk about them slowing it down a bit because we made an observation on Friday night about the umpiring, which I think was unfair. Yes, Ro? Oh, no, well, I just I think that's a pretty interesting discussion point that the Cats are capable of playing different brands and the quicker style of game worked for them against the Tigers. But as you say, it wasn't working against the Saints. So they reverted back to a more cautious possession-based style. And in this case, it was the way to go because they reasserted their control over the flow of the game. Interestingly, it was the umpires that tried to circumvent their slower brand of football. Having watched a lot of footy over the weekend, I'm now convinced that the umpires are calling not 15 metres only or predominantly on kicks that are inconsequential for the play on. So Geelong were called to play on a number of times. I think the kicks were comfortably 15 metres as though the umpires were saying, come on, keep it moving, keep it moving. That's not the umpire's job as the rules read. Maybe we can have a modification to the rules. But if Geelong want to slow the game down, they have every right to kick it 15 metres, stop, wait for the whistle, play on, kick. They weren't afforded that. Interesting that the umpires clamped down on that aspect of their game. As far as St Kilda's concerned, far better showing against a, a, a heavyweight contender than the games against Richmond and Port Adelaide, let alone the game against Essendon, let alone the game against Geelong last year. The good, the good pointers were Bytel playing his best game for St Kilda, Ryan Burns looking comfortable. The bad news is Rowan Marshall's foot and not really replacing Zach Jones for speed out of the middle and goal-kicking that doesn't seem to be improving after two terrible weeks of goal-kicking against Gold Coast, which scraped a win for Saints and then lost them the game against the Cats. Yeah, it's interesting. The Marshall thing has huge ramifications out of that. He looks like missing a, a minimum of four to five weeks. And uh, it's funny because I was looking at the Saints pre-season and thinking, gee, their depth is pretty good now, but that's not what I'm feeling now. And it just shows the importance that Marshall represents to that side. Jones is a big loss too. And the other big hurdle for the Saints is their run home, which is pretty horrific. A number of challenging road trips. Um, they have to play Sydney twice. They've got to play Geelong again. Um, and uh, they've got a, a tough game coming up this week. So right now, uh, I'll ask you just in one word, will St Kilda make the finals? No. No, I don't think they will either. In fact, I, I don't see the eight changing in any way, shape or form. I think it's probably settled. So really tough assignment for the Saints next week. They've got Western Bulldogs 
on Saturday evening at Marvel Stadium. And uh, the Bulldogs, of course, had a great win last night. And the Cats, I won't say they've got a soft kill, but um, it's a pretty decent follow-up for Geelong. They get to play Gold Coast at home at GMHPA Stadium Saturday afternoon. Uh, just one last comment on the Cats. Not for the first time on a Friday night, Rowan had me looking over my shoulder. This time it wasn't you, it was Gary Rowan. And I've got to say, is he not in career best form? He's always been, look, he's he's been brilliant, but not week in, week out. I think we're getting a thick wedge of great form from Gary, Gary Rowan. I agree. It's um, it's certainly, in my memory anyway, the most extended run of consistent form he's shown. He hasn't been a player noted for that consistency. And Cam Guthrie too. We know what a great season he had last year, but he was outstanding, I thought, with 36 disposals. Look, the Cats have got a heap of talent. Um, they seem to have tapped into a vein of form. Uh, they are definitely a very, very prominent player at the pointy End of a season, I would have thought. So good times for the Cats heading into this mid-season period. Okay, that was Friday night. We had five games on the Saturday and a couple of massive ones among them. Saturday afternoon at the SCG, we had Sydney playing Collingwood. They've had some great battles in the past. Uh, you wouldn't say this one was one of the great meetings between the Swans and Pies. Pretty dour struggle, pretty error-ridden struggle at times. And for about a half a tight struggle. But then Sydney really powered away to win by 30 points. The final scores, Sydney 10 goals, 12, 72. Defeating Collingwood, 5 goals, 12. More in accuracy, 42. In fact, for the Pies, uh, a pretty grim afternoon. They kicked four goals in the first quarter and one goal in the final three quarters. So some real issues in attack for them. The goal kickers, three goals to Heaney for the Swans, two to Papley, two to Franklin, singles to Warner, McLean and Blakey. And for Collingwood, Dugowie, two goals, both coming in that first quarter. McCreary, Cameron and Hoskin Elliott. I thought, finally, um, the first quarter, well, appearances can be deceptive. The Pies uh, look really good in that first quarter, but uh, it sort of seemed the longer the game went that that had been more about Sydney's failure to exert enough pressure. And the key stat there was Sydney in the first term laid only eight tackles. So Collingwood had a pretty unimpeded run at it in the second quarter. The Swans laid 32 tackles and the extra pressure exerted on the Pies really told. Collingwood made some horrendous skill errors, kept turning the ball over and Sydney kept capitalising it, uh, on it. And in the end, a pretty impressive win to the Swans. This was not an easy game to watch, Rowan. No. And I'm going to be a little bit left field here. I'm blaming the groundskeeper. Look, it was a beautiful day in Sydney. And I just felt that the ground was a touch heavy. They've had a bit of rain, but nothing that can't drain. And the grass was a bit long. Don't you feel it just was a bit stodgy, the game? The ball, it just didn't, you know, the ball wasn't bouncing. It wasn't moving quickly, neither were the players. It, it seemed to get clogged up on wings a lot, on the outer wing. 
And this game really... Yeah, just on the groundkeepers yeah. too, they could have uh, done a better job in removing the line markings from the rugby, which had been played there as well. Yeah, that was good too, wasn't it? The uh, It sometimes happens at the SCG in winter that they keep the grass a bit longer. I think it serves rugby league better than it serves AFL football. Because, of course, rugby league is not a game played particularly on the bounce of the ball. It's more on the carry. So... Hmm, interesting. Now, as far as the game is concerned, you know, Dugowie played a great first quarter and I thought he was great in the last quarter trying to lift Collingwood. Dacos was good around the packs. He's a bit of an outlet player now around the packs, sort of handball to Dacos and he tries to get the ball moving, very evasive. Pendlebury, good at times, but not his usual self. Otherwise... Hmm, not a lot to recommend. Look, Collingwood are playing a lot of young players at the moment and some of them may develop, others may not. That just boy, Keane. Yep. Yeah, I was just going to say, one guy who I thought did make a good contribution was Will hoskin Elliott. That was one of his better games. Yes, he was prominent early, wasn't he? Really prominent. So he, getting over 20 possessions is rare for that. Uh, half-board flanker, a little enigmatic he is, so it was a better game from him. Grundy started well. In the end, Hickey is one heck of an opponent, isn't he? He really just is having a, well, I'm not saying a, a, a late resurgence or a Indian summer. I just think he's been given the opportunity to finally be the only Ruckman and he's living up to the billing. Outstanding season. Two Sydney guys I want to mention quickly too, who I reckon you could say both get, go under the radar. One is Callum Mills. His move to the midfield has just been an absolute boon for the Swans. I thought he was close to their best player again. Can uh, I guess and, the second? Uh, yep. Justin McInerney. Uh, no, although I, I am a big fan of him. But no, the second one is... a. Uh, a far more senior player. And when I say underrated, I mean, I'm, he's one of best and fairest. But Jake Lloyd, he just racks up the touches for the Swans and he uses them well and he, he's, yep. got a, he's got a great tank. And he's still, I think, undersold as a quality player for the Swans. So, you know, we've talked about the young kids coming in. They've definitely revitalised them. We've talked about the durability of the, the old heads. But we tend to always talk about Kennedy and Parker and, and maybe Rampy now as well. But Jake Boyd, I don't think, gets enough kudos for what he does for that side. Uh, good point. He's relied upon to get so much ball. And in those very tight, I feel, sort of heavy conditions underfoot, not that it was wet, he was a, a class above. You know, that Hayden McLean's a good footballer, isn't he? He took a very important mark on the goal line. And I wonder whether he can ruck down the track because he reminds me of how Rowan Marshall started off as St Kilda yeah, as, a, got, yeah, as a mobile big marking forward. He's, he's got great mobility. I just want a, a quick word, and we don't have the time to talk about this at length, but, you know, the, the pressure ostensibly should be mounting on Nathan Buckley, shouldn't it? Uh, I mean, Collingwood kick one goal in three quarters. They're having a shocking season, two wins from nine. Um, but it's not. All the attention now seems to be on a likely board challenge. Um, and I just can't help wondering, and this is nothing against Bucks, but he has considerable support 
in the football world and in the media particularly. And I think it's it's it could end up being his saving grace because I just feel like a coach that is getting out of his side what Bucks is at the moment should be under far more pressure than he appears to be. Look, it is a very, to me, young, inexperienced team. We're seeing players every week, you know, debutants. Some don't seem up to it. He's given, for example, is it Ollie Henry a few yep. games? Yep. At no point has that young chap looked ready for AFL football. I'm not saying he won't in the future. His brother Jack was a bit of a slow burn. But, you know, the boy Mark Keane, the fullback from Ireland, they've invested a great deal store in him because he allows more to be mobile, even tried up forward. How many times has he got his hands on the ball in the air and not quite completed the mark? That may come. Will Poulter, he looks like a young stripling with many years' development in the body before he's a serious AFL footballer. I could go on. The fact is, though, not only... It, it, it sort of dawned on me when he was sitting next to Robert Harvey, gee, there's been little change there for a long time, hasn't there? That's true. And, uh, well, I guess the stuff going on at board level will have a fair say in dictating what happens with the coach's future. So I definitely watch this space on that one. It doesn't get any easier for the Just one last word, sorry, Rowan, on the Swans. Yep. You know, it's not easy necessarily to integrate a champion forward like Franklin into a team that was doing well without him. I really like the way he's playing at the moment. He's not demanding the ball as he did a couple of years ago. So they are certainly using him as an option, not as the only option. And he's been quite unselfish. Great handball that set up an important goal, I think, in the third quarter. Um, look, I, I like him as a complementary forward, not as the only person to kick to. And I think it's working well. Yeah, no, he's always been a very selfless player and a team-oriented player, and and that's the beauty of him uh, besides that incredible individual brilliance. No question about that. It doesn't get any easier for the Pies next week. They have got Port Adelaide, albeit at the MCG. That one is at 3.20pm next Sunday afternoon. Uh, Challenge for the Swans too, because they have to go to Perth. Always a tough assignment. They have got Fremantle at Optus Stadium uh, next Saturday night at 7.40pm Eastern Standard Time. All right, that was the first of the Saturday games. The second one with the 2.10 start was down in Tassie. Well, it was a battle of the Tasmanian co-tenants or teams with Tassie as a second home. Uh, Hawthorne and North Melbourne, of course, this one played at Hawthorne's adopted home in Launceston. And the result was, well, it was a pretty uh, sweet afternoon for North Melbourne. They broke the ice, their first win of the season and their first win in 23 games. That is a real early 70s sounding runabouts for North Melbourne, but they broke the ice and it was a pretty thrilling finish too. Seven point victory to North Melbourne 13 goals, 9, 87, defeating the Hawks, 12, 8, 80. The goal kickers for the Roos, Cameron Zerha kicked four, three goals to Taylor Garner. He's always a bit of a barometer for the Roos, I feel. And singles to Taylor, Goldstein, Larky, Marnie, Davies, Uniac and Thomas. For the Hawks, two to Wingard, 
two to Kaczynski, two to Bruce, two to Cousins and singles to Lewis, Shields, Moore and Scrimshaw. Well, Finey, this was a, a rousing win by the Roos. Not only did they get the points, but they did so after falling at one stage. I think it was 32 points down. And you just thought, oh, well, here we go again. But they absolutely steeled themselves, came charging back into this contest during the second and third quarters, and then went on to win with four goals to three in the final term on David Noble's birthday, no less. So a great birthday present for the coach. There were some pretty happy ruse in the aftermath, and it was a bit of a feel-good story, unless you're a Hawthorne person, of course. It did wind the clock back to the very early 70s before the 10-year rule was sort of um, taken advantage of by North Melbourne and parlayed into a premiership. This was a real... It's been a real tough time and any win for North should be celebrated heartily, especially on David Noble's 54th birthday, especially in Tasmania because David Noble's a Tasmanian. I'm just looking at him, you couldn't help but feel happy for him, could you? He's been through a lot, but there have been signs over the last couple of weeks. And I must say, um, I know that you're a huge rep and, and I am a growing fan of Jason Dunstall's look on football and he certainly knows his team. And he was asked, I think during the week, I heard him on radio, uh, how are you going to go against North? And you know what his answer was? No. Oh, not sure. He, he he knows how that team's tracking, and it is not tracking well, is it? Unfortunately for Hawthorne, their problem lies not only now forward of centre. I think we knew that they were tending to be a bit weak down forward this year, but unfortunately, they now pressed around the ground. This was not Tom Mitchell's best game or O'Meara's. Shields and Wingard, I think, held them up and were playing well when they led. But isn't Cunnington a champion? Didn't he just arrest the situation? Well, it was a great vote for North Melbourne's midfield stocks, wasn't it? Cunnington, terrific. I thought Davies Uniac was great as well. And Jai Simpkin. So, uh, you know, North isn't noted as having one of the, the great uh, stocks of midfield depth. So... Yeah, there's, there's two comments out of that, really, isn't there? Uh, you know, fair play to North for winning the midfield battle, but it's not saying a lot for what Hawthorne have got to offer in the midfield part of the ground, is it? No, and it does really look like it's going to be a long, cold winter for Hawthorne. Where do they turn to? Because their younger stocks, and this is the price, they, they're now paying for a triple premiership that was, again, a brilliant period for the club, but one that they capitalised and made sure of by recruiting senior players to the club, like the James Frawley, and a number of players that probably, in the end, were there to prolong rather than prepare. And two of those, of course, Scully and Patton, are big sort of black marks. They were supposed to be on the list this year and for various reasons are not. So whilst there's... I guess no great expectations for Hawthorne. I think this is even less than their fans were expecting. As for North, bring on more games. Why not? Look, the one good thing that has happened is that their graph has been upwards, hasn't it? It started terribly, but I think each week, incrementally, improvement until this big, big breakthrough. 
Yeah, well, the last month, I think their form has been really solid. The defeats have been at least honourable. They haven't been blown away since the early rounds of the season. I know one particularly um, relieved group of fans were probably the Essendon fans, Finey, because North Melbourne plays the Bombers next week. And I know a lot of Essendon people are thinking if North was still winless but playing good footy, uh, that loomed as a massive danger game. And it still looms as a massive danger game because North uh, seemed to particularly enjoy getting the best of the Bombers. And now they have some winning form behind them. Geez, the Hawks, um, you know, look, they've had their down periods under Alistair Clarkson, uh, obviously at the start there when they were rebuilding from scratch, but probably had... Uh, a few more longer-term prospects on the horizon to enthuse about when he took over. The fact is, you know, their last three wins, they've lost to a previously winless team. They've been beaten very comfortably in Melbourne by West Coast, a team which had struggled on the road. And the week before that, absolutely taken apart by St Kilda. So I would argue this is... Um, th there's an argument this is the most challenging period of Alistair Clarkson's stewardship of that side. Would you agree with that? It, it certainly is a period that will be looked at very closely by two clubs, both beginning with the letter C, that may be, for different reasons, looking to get a coach of his calibre to ease some pain of recent times. Now, I don't know. Do you think he's a good fit for either Cartwell Collingwood? I think he's a good fit for anyone, but I, I think that, that really is pure speculation and not really based on much reality. I know if I was the Hawks, I'd be doing everything in my power to hang on to him. Look, sometimes a coach has been there so long, it seems like the parting of ways is natural. And that, I must admit, that's how I'm sort of feeling about Nathan Buckley and Collingwood. I don't feel that with Alistair Clarkson Hawthorne. I think he's got the appetite for another rebuild. And, uh, you know, I don't sense that players are growing tired of his message. They just don't have the cattle at the moment. So whilst that is the case, and it's not really a thing about morale or attitude, I think they'd be crazy to let him slip the net. So um, uh, interesting to see how Jeff Kennett and co approach that one. Um, they've got an interesting clash coming up next week. They play Carlton at 1.45 on Saturday afternoon. And the Roos, as I said, taking on that old northern suburban foe, Essendon. That is the final game of round 10, 4.40pm on Sunday afternoon. And they will certainly have a decent crack at turning one win into two. All right, that was Saturday afternoon. We had a game uh, Saturday twilight, and it was a Q clash. Well, Gold Coast had been playing some decent footy. They had a great win over Collingwood at the MCG a couple of weeks back. Narrow defeat against St Kilda last week. They would have gone into this clash against their Queensland rival, Brisbane, with at least a degree of hope. Well... After a relatively even first quarter, that was extinguished in excruciating fashion for the Suns and a very, very disappointing performance by them. At the same time, very impressive footy played by the Lions, who were massive 73-point winners in the end. And that was after a few cheapies at the end to the Suns. The final scores, 19 goals, 10, 124 Brisbane, 
Smashing Gold Coast, seven goals, 9.51. The goal kickers, four to McStay, three to Cameron, two to Danaher, two to Hipwood, two to McCarthy, two to Bailey. Gee, there's a bit of goal-kicking power there. Singles to Coleman, McLuggage, Zorko and Pryor. So multiple goal-kickers and a multitude of goal-kickers for the hapless Suns. Just the one multiple goal kicker, that was Ben King with two singles to Ainsworth, Atkins, Corbett, Flanders and Greenwood. Well, finally, Stuart G will be bitterly disappointed by this result. It was back to the bad old days for Gold Coast. Yeah, you can almost set your calendar by it. Unfortunately, Stuart Dew in his fourth season is now facing the same prospect as Eden McKenna and his problem is that he's been able to get off to good starts, certainly in 18, 19 and 20, not parlayed into anything. And it's this time of the year when the fix is in. The first quarter, yes, they were on the scoreboard in the game and that was probably flattering. I just feel that without Tuke Miller, of course, look, Wits and Rao, huge losses, but they've got to cop that as other teams need to cop their losses. Tuke Miller seemed to step too far because nobody really stepped up in the midfield and they were just, from that point on, carved up like Sunday lunch. I mean, this was, at times, walking pace ridiculous, the amount of options that Brisbane had streaming through the middle lines. You know, he's just a bloody good player, isn't he? Mm. And let's be honest. Gold Coast let him go. Gold Coast? Adelaide, Gold Coast. I mean, he came to Gold Coast from Adelaide and performed well. Mm. A really good midfielder. Solid every week. Not that different to what he is at Brisbane. What were they thinking? As far as the Brisbane uh, Gold Coast forward line, King, late in the game, when the game was turned off, engaged and played okay in that last quarter, but he got physically thrown around by Harris Andrews to the point where Harris Andrews was enjoying almost feeding on this younger body. Really powerful stuff. It did come at a price for Brisbane, though. They lose two players out of this game. It was a milestone game for uh, Ryan Lester. He didn't last very long. He was out early. And then, unfortunately, Gardner, after taking a really good mark, Hurt his shoulder, collarbone, a dislocation there. And he had to come off and cut a pretty sad figure on the bench when he returned later on just to sit and watch. There's not much you can say about Gold Coast other than, here we go again. The crowd there seemed to be more Brisbane than Gold Coast. I think that's a problem for them. You know what? I've got more to say about it later on in the show, but... Again, things are pretty grim on the coast. Well, uh, just a final word from me on Brisbane. I, th- I was trying to sort of think, okay, looking at them in this game, what is the difference between Brisbane of 2021 and Brisbane of 2019 when they first emerged as a force? And it's a pretty obvious one, really. It's just a greater experience, more games under the belts of some of the younger players in that side. They just look like a more solid and reliable conveyance to me to the point that they started this season really poorly and they've managed to turn that around, a, a pivotal moment that win over 
Collingwood down here, uh, which at the time, you know, it doesn't look like it now, but it, it, that was a big, big win. And they turned their season around and now they are really gathering a full head of steam. They've been through a couple of finals campaigns. You know, they are really well placed, I reckon, to have a very serious crack at this year's premiership, as you should be when you're in a third finals campaign in a row. But so much firepower there. I read out those goal kickers. They've got plenty of potency up forward. The back line probably not as deep, and that's why the loss of someone like Gardner is important. But I still think they've got great capabilities there, and their midfield group is absolutely terrific. So uh, it's all going beautifully for the Lions at the moment. And, uh, yeah, look, in the battle of the two Queensland teams, it's a pretty one-sided affair at this stage. I've got an early nomination for an All-Australian that not many people, I think, would have on their radar. Who's that? Starsevich. You know, he plays on the smalls. Mm. He just is in... He just doesn't get beaten. I mean, he took Rankin to the cleaners, left him there, came back, got plenty of ball. He beats his opponent, but he also is having a wonderful season in driving the ball out of the back line. Keep an eye on him. Yeah, no, that's a really a really good call. What's on the horizon for both these teams next week? Well, huge challenges for both for differing reasons. Brisbane, we've got one of the games of the season looming next Friday night. Brisbane taking on reigning Premier Richmond at the Gabba, 7.50pm. Of course, Brisbane defeated Richmond in the qualifying final at that same venue last year. And the Suns... Well, they go down to the Cattery, GMHBA Stadium for them Saturday afternoon against Geelong. And I'll tell you what, they'd want to bring a better version of themselves than they did to the Q Clash. Otherwise, that could be a three-figure losing margin. They've really got to show something in that one, the Suns. All right, that was Saturday Twilight. We had two cracking games set up for Saturday evening. Let's talk about them. Well, this one, a rematch of the 2019 Grand Final. A situation a bit different for both teams since then. GWS up and down. Richmond, uh, again, plagued by injuries and a little bit of off-field incident as well. Uh, It's always an eventful season for the Tigers, it seems. Uh, But a pretty important game for them after uh, some real downers in recent times. Wow, what a thriller this turned out to be. And in the end, it was the Tigers who had their nose in front at the finishing post when the siren went. Richmond, four-point winners over GWS. 13 goals, 9, 87, defeating the Giants, 12, 11, 83. The goal kickers, that man, he won them again. Again, Dustin Martin, four goals, two to Arts. Two to Collier Dawkins, impressive from the rookie singles to Nankervis, Lynch, Castagna, Rewalt, and Rioli. For GWS, four goals to Jesse Hogan. Pretty impressive performance from the big man, too, uh, after his arrival from Fremantle. Singles to Ward, Kelly, Green, Green with an E, Hill, O'Halloran, Hopper, and Lloyd. Well, two stories out of this one, Finey. Um, I think uh, a great testament to Richmond's resilience. They've been able to get the win without some key players in the lineup. 
And GWS will be, though, I think, a bit shattered by this because they were, for 90% of this game, I thought, the better side and looked destined to win, uh, particularly at the start of the last quarter when they got a couple of important goals to give them a bit of breathing space and uh, appeared to have Richmond's measure. But you cannot write off a side which has won three flags in the last four years. And you certainly can't write off any side containing Dustin Martin. What a thriller this was. I would say in the last four years, this may be a top three win for the Tigers. Down by four goals for much of the night. Yes, they had to put Martin forward. I'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. The faith shown in Iden by uh, Leon Cameron. I don't, you know, I think I don't know would be where I sat on that. But anyhow, he showed faith in him, and the kid's going to be a good player. But that midfield now without Martin, obviously without Coxon, Lambert, Prestia, Shy Bolton. Well, Jake Arts was thrown into the midfield. Collier Dawkins had to go into the midfield, of course. Uh, they were rotating players. Castagna found himself further up the ground. Unfamiliar territory for him. And they had to pull back a winning, uh, what seemed to be a winning break, with Hopper playing brilliantly out of the middle. Kelly, Taranto, that's a pretty strong midfield. And... First game of Briggs doing well in the ruck in tandem with Flynn. You know, this win came from utter, complete self-belief and an ability to put the hex, to put the squeeze on a team that they own a little bit. McIntosh was brilliant in the last one. Let's be honest, how close was this game? Taranto had a shot that got goalkeeper stopped on the line by Grimes, was it, with seconds to go? I mean... But they still somehow, for me, had a had a sense of belief, self-belief, that oozed through my TV set. I knew they were going to win. And it was a quiet Rioli after a busy week that kicked the winning goal. It had all the formula, all the ingredients. And here come the Tigers. Yeah, well, uh, I've made a, a bit of a song and dance about this. They're still my flag tip. And I think uh, I agree with you. I think this might be the result that really becomes a pivotal moment in their whole 2021 campaign. I do want to talk about the Giants here, though, Fanny, because we have a tendency to sell them a bit short. I know we got a few criticisms on this show last week, and perhaps rightly, about concentrating on Essendon in that uh, narrow win to the Giants and not talking enough about the Giants. Well, I think it's time to pay them a fair bit of kudos because after three games this year and three losses, uh, to St Kilda, Fremantle and Melbourne. I think we're all of a view, I certainly was, that uh, they were on a very much downward trajectory um, that we'd probably need to see a complete changing of the guard and maybe a new coach before they challenged again. But they have found something uh, over the last six weeks now and really churned out some solid footy. They've won now four of the last six, but one of the losses by a kick They've had some really good wins. Uh, they beat up on Collingwood. They beat Sydney in a pretty gallant sort of comeback win at the SCG. Uh, smashed Adelaide last week and outlasted Essendon. So, you know, a couple of narrow victories there. They have got a fair degree of grit. 
We've seen some good young players unearthed. The senior players are showing good form. And Jesse Hogan, that was a big win for them, if not the game last night, because he can be a real key player for them. And in tandem with a guy like uh, Harry Himmelberg, I think really offer them some more goal-scoring options. So, yeah, it's been a great turnaround by GWS through the course of this season, don't you think? They look better to me like a team, like a really cohesive team that's going somewhere with a future that now is attainable. That back line, look, Hogan, four goals in the second quarter. I love the way he can turn it on in short order. And he'll only be better for the run because he looked pretty tired at the end of the game. I love, I'm Ash, Cumming, Iden. Perryman was a big loss when he went off with that hands-free injury. Yeah. But Sam Taylor, how good was he in that last quarter? You know, that he took an intercept mark in front of Lynch to give them a chance of winning the game. Boy, you've got to give him oodles of credit. They just probably are a couple of players short. I've got an alternative midfield. I, you know, we, and quite rightly, we sing the praises of Bontempelli, Dangerfield when he plays. We, we know the usual suspects, aren't they? I think we've got to start thinking a little bit differently because we think of Bontempelli, Fife, uh, we've added Petrarca, probably subtracted Cripps. These are the names, aren't they? I, I, my, how about Hopper, Steele and Wines? Because I saw all of them over the weekend. And that Jacob Hopper, he is an absolute ripper and dangerous up forward, playing brilliant footy. Yeah, look, they, it's it's been a great effort by them. The Tigers, well, as we speculated, will this be the win that they desperately needed and uh, turning their fortunes around? Well, uh, massive challenge for them, as we said before. They've got Brisbane at the Gabba next Friday night. So, uh, gee, that's really... I guess that victory has put an even greater uh, sense of attraction to that game. That is going to be very, very eagerly anticipated. And the Giants, they've got a great challenge too. It's at home uh, Sunday afternoon, 1.10pm. They have got West Coast. Now, West Coast hasn't had a great recent record on the road, but we know how good a brand of football they can play. So that is a big challenge for the Giants. So both those games will be very, very keenly anticipated. One last comment on the game, Rowan. Yes. Well done, Giants, now, for two games this year, having great alternative spirits. Because I find their jumper is a real sort of chameleon effort against some clubs. They were great against Sydney. They wore an all-grey sort of get-up. Yep. And now uh, this orange number that didn't clash with Richmond. So good forward thinking. Yeah, the Sydney one looked more black to me, although the official colours yeah, are yeah. charcoal. But yes, no, fair point. Decent alternative strips. Good to see. All right, that was the first of the two big Saturday night games. Let's talk about the other one. Well, this one was certainly a clash between two form teams. Port Adelaide taking on the Western Bulldogs in Adelaide. It's been a bit of a fortress for the power, but not on this occasion because it was a very meritorious 19-point win to the Doggies. The final scores, Western Bulldogs, 15 goals, 6, 96, defeating Port Adelaide, 
12 goals, 5, 77. The goal kickers, four goals to Aaron Norton, three goals to Cody Waitman. There's a surprise contributor and one crucial, beautiful snap over the head in the last quarter. Two to Bontempelli, two to Bruce, two to Johannesson, singles to McNeil and Hannon for the power, two to Fantasia, two to Georgiades, two to Dixon, singles to Hartlett, Amon, Willem Drew. Willem who? Willem Drew. And Wines, Pal Pepper and Gray. Another great entertaining game, Fonny, but uh, a fantastic win in the end to the Bulldogs, a sort of win that can define a whole season. If Damien Hardwick was ecstatic leaving the box for the Tigers, as I'm sure he was, ditto Luke Beveridge. Start to finish. That's what you want from a team in a very tough assignment. They don't lose many Port Adelaide at home. You have to be absolutely on your game. And the doggies from the get-go to the end played it out. Now, they got contributions right across the board. Of course, we expect the likes of Bontempelli and McRae to have a, a big say in the middle of the ground. But as you pointed out, Cody Waitman, he was more than just the three goals. He took some great marks during the game. He really looked on song, didn't he? Josh Bruce played a great game. And I can't speak... Well, it, it speaks volumes of how well Alir Alir is going, that Aaron Norton's four goals against this powerhouse physical defender took all of Norton's ability, his marking ability, his courage from in front and behind to rack up four goals, which was a match-winning effort. How about that goal by Joe Hannison, the set shot in that, was it third quarter or last quarter? No, last, last quarter. quarter. All important early goal in that last quarter, a big heavy kick that I didn't think he had in him or I didn't know he had in necessarily. They were good across the board. I thought Sweet was good. Port Adelaide through the kitchen sink at them. Wines was great. Dixon physical. The back line, they got bested, but they were a good back line. You know what? It was a true heavyweight clash, but the doggies had answer after answer after answer. That included McNeil getting involved. I thought they were great. It's the sort of win, again, that can set up a season. I remember the year they won the flag and actually the year before uh, when they made finals in Luke Beveridge's first season, they had great wins on the road against Sydney at the SCG, both narrow victories. I sort of had the same feeling when the sign went last night that this was, you know, as good as their form has been, you need a really good sort of interstate road trip against a highly credentialed opponent, difficult to win venue. You come away from that with a win and you just walk a foot taller. And I had that feeling that this could be that sort of victory for the dogs. The other point I wanted to make here too is uh, hats off to Luke Beveridge because uh, he copped a bit of flack during the week about his man management of Riley West from Scott West, Riley's dad. That was um, pretty interesting. Uh, probably caused a bit of awkwardness for all parties involved, I think, uh, involving a Facebook post. But Luke Beveridge uh, has a, at times copped a bit of flack about selection. I know a couple of seasons ago, Fonny, you were critical of their selection a bit. But 
I think I sort of feel like the performance of someone like Waitman really underlines his policy, which is always no one is safe in that side. You know, we've seen the likes of Mitch Wallace dropped. Um, seniority guarantees no selection. Uh, it's very much form-based, and he's all about having a very capable squad of players. And over the course of a long, grinding season, I think um, it holds his teams in good stead. And when you see a guy like Waitman come into the side and have that sort of impact, it just underlines to me that he is a pretty clued clued in, switched on coach who knows exactly where all the players in his squad are at. And I think that's a key to what he and his team have achieved over the last five or so years. McNeil, Scott. Yeah. I mean, these were not players you expected to be part of the team at the start of the year. I did note something, and I'm pretty interested in your take on this, Rope. You know, they were down two heavy possession-winning midfielders, Dunkley and Hunter. Now, they've got enough midfield power. Certainly, they'd certainly play one of them. But their forward line looked more lively to me with the likes of McNeil and Waitman, more genuine forwards, and Scott even. Do they need both those midfielders backing that team or can they rejig it a little? And, you know, very hard to keep Hunter and Dunkley out of the side. But when you've got Liberatore, Bailey Smith, backing up Bontempelli and McRae, I reckon you only need one more of those midfielders, and I like the look of their forward line. Yeah, possibly. Although, I, I mean, I'd, I'd always have those two in the side. And the beauty of it is, particularly with Dunkley, um, this is the other thing. It's a deep midfield, but most of that midfield group are capable of playing in other positions, mostly up forward. You know, we've seen Bontempelli have spells up forward and, and Dunkley sort of made his name as a, uh, a medium-sized forward before he became a more permanent fixture in the midfield. So that flexibility, again, I think is a, a tribute to Luke Beveridge's coaching prowess. Uh, what have these sides got next week? Well, the Bulldogs have got your Saints finding 7.25pm Saturday evening at Marvel Stadium. And the Power, they've got a road trip to the MCG Sunday afternoon. They've got Collingwood, uh, certainly a weakened version of the Pies. That is at 3.20pm and that is certainly a game that Port Adelaide uh, if it is to avoid accusations of flat-track bullying, it needs to win, even on the road. All right, that was the card for Saturday. Three games on the Sunday to finish off round nine. The Sunday card kicked off at Marvel Stadium, 1.10pm, with Essendon taking on Fremantle. And boy, did this turn into a titanic struggle. Not the most skillful game of all time, certainly not the most high-scoring game of all time, but gripping nonetheless. Either side could have won. In the end, though, after losing three games earlier this season, each by less than a kick, the Bombers finally got over the line in a close one with a gripping seven-point victory. The final scores, Essendon, 10 goals, 8, 68, defeating Fremantle. Inaccuracy again in round nine, proving costly. The Dockers, 8 goals, 13, 61. The goal kickers for the victors, McDonald, Tip and Woody, 2, 
Jones, two. Very impressive early, young Harry. Singles to Wankford, Parrish, Redmond, Wright, Phillips, and Ham. Braden Ham bobbing up with a crucial goal uh, to give the Bombers a bit of breathing space in the last quarter. For the Dockers, four goals to Matt Taberner, who was a really, really strong presence up forward. Could have had a few more and a couple of those misses, perhaps costly. Singles to Chera, Lobb, Walters and Mundy. Well, the Bombers got off to a bit of a fly here. First three goals of the game. And you thought, oh no, we've got insipid Fremantle have turned up once again. But credit where it's due. The Dockers really got their defensive shackles on. They shut down Essendon's run. Essendon couldn't really find a way out of the stranglehold. And it was Fremantle creating the better scoring opportunities, not, unfortunately for them, taking advantage of them. And that came back to bite Essendon with three goals to one in the last quarter, able to turn a narrow three-quarter time deficit into a win. It was uh, an intriguing game, twists and turns and uh, some spectacular moments and some bizarre moments. Uh, what'd you make of this one, Finey? Just in watching this game, because it was the early start on a Sunday indoors on a grey day in Melbourne, I really felt this game was indoors. Like it was the old, you know. It was indoors. But really indoors, like in somebody's house, the old corridor football. It, it, it to me, was a game where both clubs are cooking something, brewing something up, but not for this year, not this year. I think this time next year, both these teams, if they just maybe some changes around the edges, both start to become interesting sides to me. Essendon, now we've seen enough of Jones. Yes, he hasn't played the full game yet, but he's, what, nine games into a career or less? Doesn't he have maybe a Harry Mackay written all over him? Except he's a better kick at goal than any young player I've seen recently. Beautiful set shot. Nick Cox came on. Gee, I like that, Nick Cox. I mean, maybe even the difference. You know, his mobility and height are such an advantage. Essendon's midfield is now being generaled by Darcy Parrish. Now, I don't know what John Worsfold does of a weekend, but part of it must be scratching his head. Or somebody should be scratching his head for putting Parrish anywhere but where he's brilliant. He has overtaken every other midfielder in that team. McGrath, as you pointed out three weeks ago, just going. Sheil barely missed. You don't really think of Dylan Sheil at the moment. So good is Parrish. So good has been the, for me, changed Laverde down back. Hooker up forward, working like a treat. Laverde got not from pillar to post today or from foot to head, but carried on. Nick Hind, a great recruit. Not quite as effusive about his game as the boys commentating, who had him as best on ground about 10 minutes in. Couple of turnovers, but all the run, all the dash, and all of the um, daring do was there for Hind, which was really important. And the reason I like Fremantle, Look, a lot of their back lines out, but Toby Watson or Toby Watson or Toby Watson, he's courageous and has a future. Logue is looking great. I think they are building something in adversity down back. 
They need a bit. You know who they're missing, Rowan? Walters. Yeah, he was uh, yeah strangely subdued, Michael Walters. Oh dear, oh dear. He had a snapshot in the last quarter would have been telling, but it, it's just not the Walters that they need. But otherwise, two good teams having a good old crack. Well done, Bombers. Yeah, look, Darcy Parrish, uh, real coming of age for him this year. Terrific again today. He did, look, a couple of little costly disposal errors, but he, he had 39 touches uh, and he was no doubt the most influential midfield figure. And Nick Hind, he has just been a fantastic replacement for Adam Saad. And I've got to say, I, I thought that losing Saad would leave a huge hole in the Essendon defensive structure, and it hasn't. Hind has stepped up to the plate brilliantly. Mason Redmond is back to the form he was showing a couple of years ago. Bit out of sorts last year. And you mentioned McGrath. Look, I thought he was a bit better today. Um, I think he's he's coming good. And also, a quick word on the skipper too, Dyson Heppel. He's had his struggles, but I thought uh, he's gradually uh, sort of slotting into that half-back role and uh, really good effort from him. McDonald Tipperwoody, always a talisman for them. And a couple of crucial goals. He, uh, they just look dangerous when he looks dangerous. So um, the pieces all coming together for the Bombers. And Nick Cox too, just, uh, you know, he was a bit tired. That's why he was made the medical sub. But his last quarter was really important for them, I thought. So some great signs there. But ditto the Dockers, as you say. Mundy and Fife, you know, they're always among the best, aren't they? But Chera... He's a real prospect. Sarong going on with his form after that rising star win. Brayshaw, I mean, you just got to look at the names in their best. Particularly good performance today by Sean Darcy or Baby Huey, as I prefer to call him. He's just got that look about him. But uh, I think that's a really good call, actually. These are two sides whose best is definitely ahead of them. And uh, both looking like they might have pretty decent seasons to come over the next few years. So, uh, look, another loss on the road for the Dockers, but uh, they'll feel they should have won this, but it was certainly a far, far more competitive trip to Melbourne than their first couple this season. And uh, that should be some solace, at least, for their coach, Justin Longmuir, finding. What did you make of that Rory Lobb decision, non-decision? For me, I'm not sure he could possibly have gone back and kicked the goal. Very odd how he kicks off two steps now. What did you make of the call? And remember, it would have only been for levelling the game. So I think it's a game set match then. But was it a mark? Oh, I thought I thought he had enough of it to justify the mark. Yeah, there's been a, f- a few strange decisions this weekend. I think he was stiff not to be paid it. Yeah, but that's a long bow to saying it cost him the game, as I say. All right, so uh, finally, uh, a win for the Bombers in a close one. They'll be pretty relieved about that. And uh, interesting clash for them next week, taking on North Melbourne. And uh, North, of course, breaking the ice this weekend. So that game suddenly has a new look about it. That's Sunday, 4.40 p.m. As for the Dockers, well, they've got a clash against Sydney at home at Optus Stadium, 7.40 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Saturday evening, uh, very intriguing matchup that one. That was the first of the Sunday card second game at the MCG mid afternoon. Let's discuss that. <laughs> Melbourne taking on Carlton three twenty p.m. at the MCG. Uh, a, a grey afternoon, which gave way in most of the second half of this game to rain and very difficult conditions suited a tougher brand of football and that as it transpired 
probably suited Melbourne, who emerged pretty convincing victors in the end. As we said off the top, their ninth win in a row. They are going great guns. 13-16-94, defeating Carlton. 10 goals, 8-68. The goal kickers, three to McDonald, three to Fritch, two to Neil Bullen, singles to Oliver, Hunt, Langdon, Pickett and Spargo. For the beaten Blues, three to Harry Mackay. What a great season he's having. Did it uh, under adversity today after hurting a shoulder. Singles to Owies, Betts, Pitonet, Casbolt, Stocker, Gibbons and Murphy. Good start for the Blues in this one. Finally, a couple of goals up at one stage. But once the Demons got on top, they never really looked likely to lose that advantage. Held Carlton at arm's length. Uh, some interesting stats, which I'll talk about uh, after you've had a crack at it. But uh, what did you make of this result? Very good for Melbourne. Come out, came out after half time. The rain came tumbling down. We know they're a good team this year and should be beating Carlton. Certainly with Cunningham, unfortunately, he looks to have done his ACL off minutes into the game. And Mackay, seemingly at half time, because he hit three goals in the second half. Um, sort of a, a, a one-armed bandit up forward with that shoulder injury. You'd expect them to take a hold of the game, but Melbourne has not been a bankable commodity for decades. So every indication now may it be a half in the wet against Carlton, a ninth win in the row. Every every sort of um, signpost pass that this is a new Melbourne a sterner Melbourne, a serious premiership contending Melbourne is a great milestone achieved. It, it's ticking a box that makes everybody look within the club, that belief and a, and a football club that is built, they don't need our or the fans or the football world's nod of approval. Within the club, they're doing everything right. But for the rest of the football world, who are sort of disbelievers when it comes to the old red and blue, this was another big step forward. The one thing I will say, Rowan, I know it was a very wet afternoon, but when it wasn't wet, and then particularly when it was wet, I get a feeling that we're not going to see Brown and Wiedemann in the team together. Not when Jackson comes back. Uh, that's a fair point. Yeah, could uh, certainly an argument they may be a bit top-heavy if uh, they were to play all of them at the one time. I just want to have a, a quick discussion about Carlton. And McDonald. Uh, McDonald, of course, yeah. I uh, just want to have a discussion about Carlton because there's no doubt the natives there are getting very restless. I wrote a uh, column last week for Australian Community Media saying that uh, as frustrating as it is, they still have to show some patience because I don't know if a few people maybe are overrating that list, but it doesn't convince me. It's not a top eight uh, best 22 for me. Uh, I think they're probably below where they should be, but I, I still think there's a fair bit of work to do. What would worry them though, um, and it's not an issue easily fixed for them, is their ball use. And I've been talking about this all season. They really do turn the ball over. They make too many fundamental skill errors. And the proof of the pudding in this is the fact that Carlton today actually won the inside 50 count. It was 53-52. They more or less broke even in most of the other key stats, except, of course, 
the one that counted most of the scoreboard. But just as a symptom of their ball use and how they don't make enough of their opportunities, consider this. The marks inside 50 today on a wet afternoon, 14 to the Demons, just six to Carlton. So it really does look like when you look at the goal kickers too, for them this season, it's Harry Mackay or bust. And they don't have enough different goal kicking avenues and they don't get the ball smoothly inside their 50 and they turn it over way too much. That is an ongoing issue for coach David Teague. And like I said, I'm not sure, Finey, it's one that can be easily fixed. Rowan, let's look at the last decade, which is supposed to have been the rebuilding of Carlton with a nod and an appreciation of using the draft and using conventional methods rather than their previously held belief that they could, with their Messiah complex, pick up a Malthouse, a Judd, a Pagan and just, you know, turn back the hands of time. So it's been 10 years of trying to do it the way other clubs do it. And their progress has been glacier-like, if progress at all. And what really must gall their supporters is, let's say, North Melbourne, who really have gone back to sort of game plan zero at the start of this year with a list that was shredded by a coach that isn't even there anymore. If they played North next week, they would probably win. But at this stage of their development, they should be Monty's against the North Melbourne. And when they look at a team like Sydney, who went to the draft and went young and seemed to have done in weeks what they have not been able to do in, in years, it's, it's as though they have stood still while the football world has rotated around them. Teams have gone down, gone up, gone down, gone up. And they've crawled along, not going terribly badly, but not making an impression on this competition. If I was a Carlton supporter, I, I and I'm not saying I would ask for a revolt, I'm not blaming the committee or the coach. If I was a Carlton supporter, I would dead set by videotapes of the 70s and 80s and early 90s and not watch football until this team progresses. So maybe re reconvening five years. Well, your biggest problem there might be uh, buying a videotape because I don't think they're, uh, they're, they're a very common commodity these days, uh, even DVDs for that matter. Um, yeah, look, they're, they're in trouble, the Blues. They're three and six. They're in 13th spot on the ladder. So it'll be interesting to see just how much patience the faithful are showing this week. Um, they've got, certainly got a good chance to restore a win to the ledger next week. They play Hawthorne, who are in a world of pain at the moment. That game, 1.45pm next Saturday afternoon at the MCG. As for the Demons, well, they've got a road trip. Um, but interestingly, they are playing a side which this round had a road trip as well. They are up against Adelaide at Adelaide Oval next Saturday afternoon, the twilight slot, 4.35pm Eastern Standard Time. And speaking of that side that themselves had a road trip this week, they featured in the last game on the Round 9 card. And the final game of Round 9 over in Perth, it was between West Coast and Adelaide and uh, probably fair to say went pretty much as predicted, although uh, more competitive showing from the Crows than has been the case in recent times. 
in the end, a 30-point victory to West Coast. The final score, 16-10, 106, defeating Adelaide, 11-10-76. Boy, they got some potency up forward, the Eagles, and that was displayed with a variety of multiple goal kickers. Five goals to Jack Darling, all of them coming in the second quarter. What a quarter of footy he turned on. Three goals to Josh Kennedy, three to Oscar Allen, two to Jake Waterman. Singles to Cripps, Jones and Finey, Petrocelli. Look, he is quick. And for the Crows, three to McAdam, two to Berry, two to Phil Thorpe. That's always a challenge to say. Singles to Laird, Rowe, Schoenberg and Fogarty. Look, pretty decent effort by the Crows in this one, I thought, Finey. They were uh, certainly competitive and, in fact, led this game until uh, about midway through the second quarter when it's fair to say Jack Darling went on a rampage. Five goals in the second half of that quarter. He kicked three of those in a four-minute burst including one of the most bizarre goals you're likely to see. Well, were it not for the fact that we saw a similar goal on Saturday night, two nutmeg goals over the weekend. The first, of course, was in the Port Adelaide Bulldogs game when a uh, bouncing kick from Robbie Gray nutmegged Adam Trelaw. Well, the same fate was visited upon Adelaide's Brodie Smith. Jack Darling marking only 20, 25 metres out. Fair to say, took it a little too casually. Seemed to get caught between going over the top or being a bit of a smart ass and dribbling it. And uh, in the end, did a bit of both. And somehow, the ball still managed to go between Smith's legs and through for a goal. Um, pretty convincing win by the Eagles in the end. The scariest thing for me, finally, about this result is the fact that the Eagles still getting the job done, minus the following names, Shuey. Ryan, Hearn, and Yo. And uh, boy, if those four come back into the lineup, there's going to be a few players pretty stiff to lose their spot in that best 22. Yeah, they are. Are they in a holding pattern? Looked a little bit that way today. Yeah, they got the job done through the agency of Darling's Blitz in the second part of the second quarter. By the way, if we're going to pay homage to goals, what a great mark and goal by Shane McAdam for the Adelaide Crows, adding to the list of speckies that have been taken this season. Well done, him. First of all, I don't like when teams head into state for very tough assignments and basically don't go there to win. And I felt that by not picking Taylor Walker, really, I mean, have a look at their wins this season. Central to those wins have been Taylor Walker. They felt the big blade needed a rest. I can assure you, yeah, if Adelaide were ninth on the ladder or fifth on the ladder, he would have been there. So I don't like those selection concessions. That being said, the challenge would have been laid fair and square, fair and square at the feet of all Adelaide players who their youngest and newest players, the likes of a Phil Thorpe, right through to David McKay. If you want to spot in this team, I expect an effort right throughout the game. And that would have been the word from the coach. And he would have been pretty happy. I reckon Nick would have said at the end of that game, well played, played it out. As for the West Coast, well played. In as much that the win was 
probably at hand for most of the game. Darling, fantastic. I thought Cripps played a very good game. They get such drive from Nat Nui that even when the midfield is down, and we know without Shuey and Yo, it is most certainly that this extra midfielder in the form of a giant on baller is such an advantage. I just want to comment on Andrew Gath. You know, throughout our life, Rowan, wingman, we've seen wingman be truly a part of the game, not part of the game, and then reintroduced in recent years. The first part of Gath's career occurred when wingman almost didn't exist, but he decided, or he made an art of it. I reckon he's half the reason it's been resurrected. So good as his career been and his impact on the game. So he's brilliant. He's brilliant week in, week out. It's been incredibly reliable for them. And uh, I wax and wane a bit on the quality of their midfield, but geez, when they click, and as you rightly point out, this is a midfield minus Shuey and Yo, and yet you've still got Tim Kelly really starting to get into top gear for the Eagles now. 31 disposals for him in this game. Gaff, the man you just paid homage to, he ended up with 30 today. Uh, Dom Sheed, 23. Uh, so even without those stars, still plenty of talent there. Quick word on the Crows too. Look, uh, this gave me some hope that their season isn't going to fall in a, a hole now. They really found a bit more resolve today, I think. I, I take on board what you say about, you know, not necessarily going out to give 100% in terms of giving the victory more to minimise the uh, the damage or, or maximise their long-term prospects. But uh, they still showed a fair bit of resolve, I thought. So... Um, they're far from the worst side in the competition in 2021, I reckon. And that sort of leads into almost who is the worst side. Can't you see, can't we just see the contrast between the Crows and the Suns? Suns, both playing very good teams. Adelaide on the road for a nasty road trip. Gold Coast at home should be right up for it against, you know, their local rivals, the Derby, if you like. Gee, yeah, they only need to look at the Crows today Gold Coast and hang their head a bit from last night's performance. All right. I just want to ask you this. I want a one-word response. This is right off the top of my head. Question without notice. Who, at the moment, is the worst side in the competition? Hawthorne. Yep. Ditto. Uh, it's incredible to be saying that, but there you go. The changes of fortune that happen in AFL football these days. Uh, what's in store for these clubs next week? Well, the Crows have got a game at home at least. Unfortunately for them, it's up against the AFL's only remaining undefeated team in Melbourne. That is at 4.35pm Eastern time on Saturday afternoon. The Eagles, well, this is a challenge. It is a road trip and it is to Giant Stadium to take on GWS They'll be smarting from that last-minute loss to Richmond on Saturday evening. But the Giants' form for the past six weeks now has been nothing short of very solid. So that is another good test on the road for the Eagles. And that, my friends, is the end of Round 9. All nine games sliced and diced. And that leaves us finding just one segment in this show, and it's our old favourite, the rant off. On Footyology, the rant off. All right, Finey, sometimes these rants take on uh, different moods, but uh, I'm a bit fired up on this one. So uh, uh, this could be angry me delivering this rant. I'll uh, leave you 
in uh, in doubt about what the subject matter is, but I'd like you to count me in in forceful and ominous tones. The three, two, and one. I'm pissed off with Eddie Maguire, Finey. Yeah, I know. So join the club. What about? Well, take your pick. There's a way Ed has approached his post-Collingwood presidency in typically subtle fashion by completely dominating every forum of which he's a part. It could be the Wednesday edition of Footy Classified, which he hosts, which might as well now be called the Eddie Maguire Show, and he could do solo for all the airtime he gives other panellists, routinely peddling whatever agenda he has, talking over the top of anyone else, let alone any alternate opinion. It could be the AFL games he calls for Fox Footy, where he wants to be not just the play-by-play caller, but the special comments guy as well, even the boundary rider, and seems to think the key to good commentary is just to shout as loudly as possible about whatever he's supposed to be describing. But this time, it's about another of those Eddie Maguire thought bubbles, always dutifully reported by the Herald Sun, this one about the supposed death of Saturday afternoon football. Quote, Saturday afternoons for AFL football are dead, was the take yesterday. And here's his quote. Everyone has got a TV the size of the wall at home and they are sitting there watching it, Maguire said. People want to see it when it is comfortable for them. They want to play a bit of golf. They want to have family time. They want to go to school sports. They want to do things on a Saturday. And that's why Saturday afternoon football, except for the biggest game of them all, the grand final, is kaput. End quote. Yep, righto. I hope Ed at least has the grace to ditch the boy from Broadmeadow shtick after that line because nothing says you're in touch with the ordinary person like mentions of private school Saturday sport, golf clubs and massive TVs, does it? Not to mention a pay TV subscription. This might come as a surprise to you, Ed, but not everyone can afford a Foxtel subscription. In fact, the take-up rate of pay TV in this country remains around just 30%. Not everyone can afford to send little Johnny to a well-heeled private school that spends their Saturdays cheering on grammar against collegians. And not everyone is a member of a private golf club or can get on a golf course on a Saturday afternoon or even plays golf. In fact, nothing screams completely divorced from the community one keeps banging on about being an integral part of more than references like those, Ed. Maybe I should cut Ed some slack here because it's just symptomatic of the whole old boys network, which has effectively taken over the running of the game at the highest level, where what school you went to and who you know is a far bigger tick on your CV than your actual ability or knowledge of anything. Who have you heard who's a footy fan say they don't like going to a game on a Saturday afternoon? I haven't. It's probably the same people you've heard say they prefer a night grand final. That is, TV executives and commentators, and pretty much no one else. It's worth pointing out here that just yesterday, the Saturday afternoon game in Sydney, where that time slot isn't supposed to be as popular, drew more than 31,000 people. Last night in Melbourne, meanwhile, the so-called sexier brand of the night game drew just 18,000 to Marvel Stadium. I'm not sensing a huge shift in popular taste there, Ed. What I am sensing, and in fairness, you're just part of it, is a massive exclusive club of privileged white middle-aged men so used to getting everything they want and people sucking up to them that they think that's how the whole world lives. Newsflash, it doesn't. We live in a diverse society, Ed, racially, culturally and socially. We're lucky to have them interested in AFL football at all. 
So the last thing we should be doing is ditching the sort of tradition surrounding the sport, which helped give it its identity, just so you and your TV mates can squeeze out a few extra advertising dollars, because that's what it's really about. It's cringeworthy hearing you bang on all the time about this stuff through sheer self-interest and dressing it up like you Mr. Everyman. And it's just as cringeworthy seeing popular media outlets scramble for news on your every utterance. That's not your fault, I guess. But for Christ's sake, can you give us all a bit of peace and give it a rest for five seconds? You know, Rowan, your rants are well prepared. Like the good, strong journalist you are, and I think they always hit the spot. They really do. But this one cut through a lot of the, the fog around who's important in football and what they have to say and listen to what they have to say and kicked a goal from a long way out. Goal of the season, mate. Well done. Uh, well, I just, you know, last night's call, just a few things colluded in a short space of time. But, uh, I mean, seriously, just give it a rest, Ed. Just smell the breeze, mate. You're not smelling it. Look, I've always got on okay with Ed. I've got a bit of time for him, but uh, enough, enough. Just stop pushing the agendas and the self-interest. All right, you know, you know, sometimes he comes up with some sort of left-field kookiness. Of course, my favourite was building a replica MCG, but smaller next to the MCG. Yeah. yeah. That was my favourite because you know what, you know what I, I ultimately wanted was what? four MCGs in a Russian doll setup that you could stack <laughs> and store. Uh, the old um, Russian dolls. But, but that was sort of wackiness. This is exactly how you painted it. This is a disconnect. Don't, you're not the boy from Broadie. You are the man from Turek. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But fair income. We're not all that. Yes, absolutely. Well done. well done. All right. You ready to go? Yep. Okay. Three, two, one. Rant. Ugh. What's that the sound of? It should be the sound of anybody who cares about the Gold Coast Suns knowing that this is the time of the year they fall off the face of the earth. Why? I don't know. Is it because fans don't really connect with that team? So any good early season form isn't rewarded with burgeoning crowds and packed grandstands that love the mighty Suns? Far from it. They were outnumbered in the game against Brisbane at home on the weekend. Is it because... And I'm serious here. They train in beautiful sunny weather. The season starts in warm climes. And I guess a lot of the players that end up there consider that a real boon. And then the fix is in. Trips on the road to cold Melbourne and rainy days at Carrara don't seem to suit the Suns by name or by nature. Or is it simply a fact that Stuart Dew is just another coach there that around the 60-game mark can't get his message through. In fact, his winning percentage is lower than that of his predecessors, Eden McKenna. They're all possibilities, but I go for something, and I mean this, that I would never normally say, because curses are for people who believe in horoscopes, winning Tats Lotto, and St Kilda winning premierships. But there is a curse associated with being a sporting team on the Gold Coast, or may I say a reality? And that reality is, it's a good place to die, is the Gold Coast. 
it used to be favoured by white shoe wearing Victorians, a nice warm climb somewhere to see your final days. Now it's a good place to die young, or at least bikey gangs think so. But have a listen to the list of this litany of teams that have gone there and failed. We know the Brisbane Bears well. They were never going to succeed there. Thank goodness they lived up to their name and moved up to Brisbane. In the NRL, Gold Coast Tweed Giants, anything but in the Gold Coast Seagulls. Of course, we've now got the Titans, who are really not all that relevant. This season, not terrible, but generally not a big player in the competition. Do you remember the Gold Coast Gladiators? I doubt it. They were part of the ill-fated ARL, but only lasted a pre-season before their licence was taken off them. They morphed into the Gold Coast Chargers who morphed into non-existence. Baseball fan, remember the Daikyo Dolphins? <laughs> no, because they didn't survive. They became the Gold Coast Clippers, not Rippers, a year after they were formed, dead. Basketball, a disaster. The Gold Coast Cougars, the Gold Coast Rollers, the Gold Coast Blaze. All of them at Carrara Indoor Stadium. All of them failed dismally. In rugby union, the East Coast Aces in the Australian Rugby Championship lasted one year. Yeah, the competition folded, mainly because of teams on the East Coast Aces. And then, of course, Gold Coast United. Clive Palmer's ill-fated foray into the A-League. What a combination. A team on the Gold Coast and Clive Palmer. Death assured. I'm not saying Gold Coast Suns are going to go the same way, but their club, their players, their fans seem to believe they're on borrowed time or at least playing somewhere where no one cares. And if they don't care, why should the players care? It's another long, cold winter for the ill-named Suns. Wow, very articulately delivered, very well researched too, Fanny, because as you were rattling off that list of names, the thing that struck me was... Whenever you talk about sport on the Gold Coast, you tend to go to the usual suspects, but there are at least four or five teams there that I had completely and utterly forgotten ever existed, which uh, isn't a great sign, is it? No. They also had Greyhound Racing and Harness Racing that no longer exists on the Gold Coast. The only thing that succeeded there is is motorsports. They, I think a couple of the... the, um, the Dick Johnson and a couple of the teams are based out of the Gold Coast. But, you know, that's that's a car. That's not a sporting club. Uh, really good rant. A couple of serious topics broached there today. Food for thought, hopefully, for a few people involved. All right, that is the end of our Round 9 review on the Footyology podcast. Uh, a quick shout-out to our regular sponsors, if you will, please, Finding. No problem. No Gold Coast Malays for Andrew's hamburgers. How about this? 82 years and still going. <laughs> Talk about longevity. You only survive in the food business. You know, most food businesses sadly close after before 12 months. They just don't make it. To the last 82 years, you've got to be great. And they are great. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And likewise, and West Point Properties, Nick Spartels, he's been in the business of building beautiful homes for two decades. Well, that says something. And it says quality assured. West Point Properties, Nick Spartels. And another Footyology podcast uh, partner is Stats Insider, the best sports data analyst in the business. And 
as we uh, told you last time, we are now proudly partnered on this Footyology podcast by Palmerbet. Play the punning advantage this footy season, but always remember to gamble responsibly. We're grateful for their support. We're grateful for your support, of course, too. And you can continue to support us at the supporter page wherever you hear this podcast or at our Patreon links on the website, footyology.com.au. I hope you enjoyed the show. Hope your team had a win. If not, better luck heading into round 10. You'll be able to hear us midweek when we preview what should be a big round 10 of the 2021 AFL season. Thanks for your company. We'll catch you later.